Welcome, and thank you for streaming this sermon. At Heritage Baptist Church, we believe that the Word of God and the Gospel of Jesus can truly change lives. So it is our hope and prayer that this service stirs up your affection for Christ and helps you to draw closer to Him. For more information, please visit hbchazlett.org. I'm a guy brings a sledgehammer to the pulpit. You're kind of wondering what's going to happen. Um, I'm not going to use it on the pulpit. I promise that. And I don't have a television. Anyone familiar with Larry Brown? Anybody here familiar with Dr. Larry Brown? Dr. Larry Brown used to get up. Everywhere he went, he'd get a television up there, and he was against TVs, and he'd preach, and he'd tear open with the sledgehammer. So I'm not doing that tonight. I have a television in my house, more than one. Uh, Acts chapter number 4. Acts chapter number 4. Uh, again, appreciate you all being here this evening. Um, I look forward, this is one of the weeks that I know I'm preaching, so I would look forward to it. Pastor asked me about a month ago. And uh, the Bible says we're supposed to, as preachers, be instant in season, out of season. The Bible says, reprove, rebuke, exhort with all long suffering and doctrine. Um, every preacher kind of has their own style. And uh, I think I just, maybe in, in my style of preaching, I'm not sure if this is true, but the way I feel about it sometimes is every time I preach a message, I preach for a verdict. And so when I preach in church, I preach to our teenagers. When I preach in Bible class, I'm always trying to get people to a verdict. And tonight I want to do the same thing, but instead of the reproving and rebuking, tonight I want to try to exhort a little while. Um, Just try to encourage our church and just try to encourage each of us individually. And so Acts chapter number 4, and I'm going to give you part of my title, and uh, and I'm going to finish it in just a sentence. Be a world class. I'm not going to finish the sentence quite yet. Um, For fun, on my computer typed in world class. One of those terms that everyone wants to be a world-class whatever it is. Well, that's a world-class insurance agent or a world-class golfer or a world-class athlete. I wrote down some things. A world-class wrestler, world-class finances, world-class athlete. Uh, One is a world-class company. This is a world-class chess player, a world-class science, world-class memory, world-class clothing, a world-class volunteer. In other words, what people are saying is we want to be the very best in the world at what we do. But tonight we're going to talk about a man named Joseph. And you're going to say, who is that? Acts chapter number 4 and verse number 29. This is read the day of Pentecost. Peter and John preach. They're thrown in jail because they've, um, seen, they've healed a blind man. The Lord through them has healed a, blind man, uh, excuse me, a lame man. And he's leaping and jumping and praising God at the temple. And they say, we're going to threaten them and tell them, don't talk about Jesus anymore. They go back to their company in verse number 29. Then Peter and the other apostles answered and said, we ought to obey God rather than men. The God of our fathers raised up Jesus whom you slew and hanged on a tree. So Peter's here and he preaches. Now jump down with me to verse number... You have to forgive me. I'm in chapter 5, aren't I? Acts chapter 4, verse number 29. That's why it didn't make sense. Acts chapter 4, verse number 29. And now, Lord, behold their threatenings, and grant unto thy servants that with all boldness they may speak thy word, by stretching forth thine hand to heal, and that signs and wonders may be done by the name of thy holy child Jesus. This is the disciples, the apostles, the followers of Jesus, and they're here in verse number 31 says, And when they had prayed, the place was shaken where they were assembled together, And they were all filled with the Holy Ghost, and they spake the word of God with boldness. And the multitude of them that believed were of one heart and of one soul. Neither said any of them that all of the things which he possessed was his own, but that they had all things common. And with great power gave the apostles witness of the resurrection of the Lord Jesus, and great grace is upon them all. Neither was there any among them that lacked, for as many as were possessors of land or houses sold them, 
and brought the price of the things that were sold. Verse 35. And lay them down the apostles' feet, and distribution was made unto every man according as he had need. Verse 36. Here he is. And Joseph, who by the apostles was surnamed Barnabas, which is, being interpreted, the son of consolation, a Levite, and of the country of Cyprus, having land, sold it, and brought the money, and laid at the apostles' feet. Now, we're going to look at this man, Joseph, as we also know him by the name Barnabas. But the interesting thing is his name wasn't Barnabas. His name was Joseph. Look what the Bible says in verse 36. And Joseph, who by the apostles was surnamed Barnabas. Why was he surnamed Barnabas? Well, here's what the Bible tells us. Which is being interpreted the son of consolation. What made them name him the son of consolation? The son of consolation. So consolation means comfort, exhortation, encouragement. In other words, when you were around this man named Joseph, whose surname is Barnabas, here's what you say about him. This guy is an encourager. This guy is a consoler. This guy, the goal of his life is to be an encourager. And he does it so often that we're just going to start calling him son of encouragement, son of consolation. So tonight, here's my challenge for us as a church. Title my message, be a world-class encourager. Be a world-class encourager. Let's have a word of prayer. Father, I'm so thankful for the privilege, Lord, to open the word of God and be able to preach. And the Lord, tonight, as you've encouraged my heart this week, Lord, in my own life about being so cautious, Lord, to never be someone that tears down, but someone who builds up. I pray, Lord, tonight that as we hear the word of God preach, may you, by your Holy Spirit, please speak to hearts. Lord, tonight, there's no doubt as, as you're speaking through me, Lord, tonight, that I pray that, Lord, you speak to people's hearts individually, Lord, and there'll be people that tonight think of someone in this church or a family member or a friend who needs some encouragement. Lord, I pray tonight that it wouldn't just be hears, but Lord, may we take action and do what you, by your Holy Spirit, brought us to do. Please give me the words to speak, Lord. Give me clarity. And I pray that tonight you would speak to hearts. In Christ's name we pray. Amen. Joseph, the son of consolation. The Bible says about him here in verse number 37. And having land, he sold it and brought the money and lay at the apostles' feet. So if he's a son of encouragement, one way, we're going to look at a couple things that Barnabas did. Number one, he was a generous and he was a giving man. A generous and a giving man. If you think about chapter number 5, verse number 1, the Bible says, But a certain man named Ananias with his Sapphira, his wife, sold a possession. We know what they did. They lied about how much they sold it for. They're struck dead. So you have this contrast between Barnabas, a very giving man, and then you have Ananias and Sapphira. Take your Bibles. I invite you to go to Acts chapter number 9 with me. Acts chapter 9. We'll kind of walk through the life of Barnabas here a little while and uh, see how God used Barnabas to be an encourager. Barnabas as an encourager. So we come on the scene. His name's Joseph. He's renamed or he's nicknamed the son of consolation, the son of encouragement. In Acts chapter number 9, we have the story of a man named Paul. But he wasn't always Paul. His name was Saul. And Saul, as we know, was a persecutor of Christians. Saul's goal of his life was he was trying to be so zealous for, for the law and so zealous for what he believed was religion that he went and he murdered. He got letters from the king and he actually went and he murdered Christians and he, he persecuted them. So imagine if you knew who Saul was and if you saw Saul and you knew you were a Christian, you're going to be very scared. You're going to run the other direction or hide. Acts chapter number 9, we know, of course, Saul is on the road to Damascus and he sees a bright light. The Lord speaks to Saul. Saul gets saved, gets his life right. In Acts chapter 9, verse number 20, the Bible says, And straightway he preached, this is Paul, Christ in the synagogues, that he is a son of God. But all that heard him were amazed. Why? Well, what if a man who was a persecutor and doing anything he can to kill Christians all of a sudden starts preaching about Jesus? Would you wonder if there's 
a hidden agenda here? Would you wonder if it's fake, if he's trying to do this to get all the Christians out and then kill them all? By the way, bad time in Rome. Nero, we know, persecuted and killed Christians. I mean, it was a bad time in Rome. And here it is, Acts chapter number 9, verse 21. But all them that heard him were amazed and said, Is not this he that destroyed them which called him the name in Jerusalem? And came hither for that intent that he might bring them bound unto the chief priest? But Saul increased the more in strength and confounded the Jews which dwelt at Damascus, proving that this is very Christ. And after that many days were fulfilled, the Jews took counsel to kill him. So now the Jews want to kill Saul. And their, and their laying in wait was known of Saul. And they watched the gates day and night to kill him. Then the disciples took him by the night and led him down by the wall in a basket. And when Saul was coming to Jerusalem, now, now Saul goes to Jerusalem. Here's what he wants to do. He is saved to join himself to the disciples. So he comes to Jerusalem and Saul's doing what he wanted to do. Go to the synagogue and join the Christians. Join the, join the people that were followers of Jesus Christ. And what do you think the people in Jerusalem think? They're scared. They're thinking the same thing. Maybe this guy's out to get us. He's going to kill us. And so they have the reaction that many of us would. And it says, but they were all afraid of him and believed not that he was a disciple. They thought this guy's faking it. And here comes Barnabas, verse number 27. But Barnabas took him and brought him to the apostles and declared to them how he had seen the Lord in the way and that he had spoken to him and how he preached boldly at Damascus in the name of Jesus. And he was with them coming in and out and going out of Jerusalem. And he spake boldly in the name of the Lord Jesus and disputed among the Grecians, but they went about to slay him. Which, when the brethren knew, when they heard what Barnabas said about Saul, brought them down to Caesarea and sent him forth to Tarsus. See, Saul needed a break. Saul was the man who was the persecutor of Christians, and Saul, his life had been changed, but Saul still had that old stigma about him. Saul was known as a person that was different than the Jews. Saul was known as a person that was different than these followers of Jesus Christ. Saul, Saul was the man who was scared. And let, let's make that our day and age. What about someone when they come to church and they're different than we are? It, isn't it true that too often we see somebody maybe that doesn't look the same as we do or dress differently or maybe they have something on their body that we wouldn't have on our body? And immediately we kind of step back and we think, I'm not sure about this. And by the way, I'm not saying don't exercise discernment. But you know what Barnabas did? Barnabas encouraged Barnabas, Barnabas went and talked to him and said, Hey, you know what? I'm going to stick my neck out for Saul and tell these guys that, Hey, I'm sticking my neck out. I'm saying this guy's okay. And that's all that Saul needed for a chance to become this great preacher, and this great missionary. But I, I submit to you that God would use Paul either way. But he had a friend named Barnabas. He had an encourager in his corner. And, and I want you to know that as our church grows and as we have visitors... Man, you know what? I get excited when people come in here that don't dress just like I dress or don't look just how I look. Or maybe someone that comes on the property and they're smoking a cigarette when they come on the property. I don't get excited. They're smoking. But here's what I know. There's someone who needs a Lord and God will work in their life and change them if they just have an encourager. If they just have someone like Barnabas come up aside and put their arm around them and say, hey, you know what? This guy is okay. I want to be a friend of this guy. And I'm going to vouch him and say, you know what? He's okay. I want to help him. Yes, there's been a change in his life. He may not have all his I's dotted and his T's crossed, but I can vouch for this man. Barnabas was an encourager. I invite you to take your Bibles. Turn to Acts chapter number 11. Acts chapter number 11. Kind of gives us the biography of Barnabas here in Acts chapter 11, verse number 19. Now when they which were scattered abroad upon the persecution that arose about Stephen traveled as far as Phenis and Cyprus and Antioch, preaching the word to none but unto the Jews only. 
And some of them were men of Cyprus and Cyrene, which when they were come to Antioch, spake unto the Grecians, preaching the Lord Jesus. And the hand of the Lord was with them, and a great number believed and turned unto the Lord. Then tidings of these things came unto the ears of the church was in Jerusalem, and they sent forth Barnabas, that he should go far as far as Antioch. Look at verse number 23. Who, when he came and had seen the grace of God, was glad and exhorted them all. Guess what Barnabas is doing? Encouraging the believers. That was the purpose of heart, they would cleave on the Lord. Verse number 24, here's his biography. For he was a good man, and full of the Holy Ghost and of faith, and much people was added unto the Lord. Now let me ask you a question. All of us are going to be known for something. If you look at Barnabas, like, by the way, there's other verses, but we'll just take a look at those few things tonight. One I wrote down here, he was a good man. You know, it's hard to be an encourager if you don't live a good life yourself. It's hard to sit there and try to tell people how great someone is and try to encourage them because we can't do that if we're not living the right kind of life ourselves. It's hard for us to go up to somebody and wrap our arms around them and be afraid they're going to shove our arm off and say, well, who do you think you are? But he was a good man, and here's the key, I think. He was full of the Holy Ghost. Have you ever been somewhere in church or with a friend and you feel the Holy Spirit prodding you to say something, a note of encouragement or to say a word to somebody? Have you, ever, have you ever been in church and maybe someone walks in and, and you know you should be the one to go greet them and visit them? And maybe it's in your Sunday school class, you see someone new, or maybe you know... By the way, let me just stop here and say, the reason why this message came about was, as I was praying and preparing, I started thinking about the number of people in our church who are hurting. The number of people in our church who are going through difficult times. Jimmy, could you bring that chair up here? Do you mind? It's right on the corner. Do you mind getting that for me? He just has an illustration tonight because when we look out at everybody's faces tonight, everybody's smiling or at least awake and uh, we're all looking up this way and we're listening and everything looks like we have it all together but let's be honest we all know how to put up that front don't we we all know how to put the front that everything's okay i'm great life is good have you ever you can put it right there jimmy that's great thank you very much jimmy have you ever someone ever asked you hey how are things going and you wanted to just unleash and tell them how things really are going but you said we're doing great How's your day going? Wonderful. And you really want to say, it's going horrible. I really don't want to be here. On the way in, my kids were bad and my wife and I had disagreement, but we're glad to be in church. Ever been that way before? Maybe it's just me, but uh, that's happened once or twice maybe for us. I'm just being transparent with you. And you know the funny thing? All of us look healthy, but can I tell you, there's people here tonight that although they're sitting here and they're, they're, they're with us and they're listening, spiritually speaking, they're, they're crippled. Spiritually speaking, they may be standing up and they may be in this room and they may look good, but spiritually speaking, they're sitting in a wheelchair and they don't know where they're going to go next. They're not sure where the next step's going to be. Um, I would never point out anybody, but in my mind, I started thinking as I was sitting up here, how many families or how many individuals here tonight do I know personally who are going through something difficult, very difficult, and I started numbering and I want you to know I stopped numbering. Because I know the people in this church and the people who are part of our church, I'm aware of some of those issues. And I know that it's easy to be in church and act like everything's going well, but let's face it, all of us need an encourager. And here's what we need to do. We need to be full of the Holy Ghost so that we don't just look at people and say, oh, they're doing well, but we actually want to be a friend of them. And we say to them, how are you? Because some of you in this room, you know someone who's here tonight who's sitting in a wheelchair spiritually, although they're here tonight in church, and they're staying look like they're strong. Some of you all know someone who's not here that's at home and they may not be in a wheelchair, but spiritually they are. And you know they're struggling. You know they're having a hard time. May I tell you that we need to all be sons of consolation or daughters of consolation and we need to become Barnabases ourselves. We need to be the one that goes to them to encourage them. 
filling the Holy Spirit. It's not uncommon at all for the Holy Spirit to prod our hearts. But here's the sad thing. When, when you get that thought, hey, you should give that person a call, or you should send that person a text message, or you should email them, or you should write them a note, and you don't do it, you know what happens? That prodding seems to go away, doesn't it? And you say, well, I just don't do that anymore. Well, could I ask you a question? Is it that we don't do it anymore, or is that we have just hushed the Holy Spirit in our lives about being an encourager? I don't know about you, but after, after studying this out... The goal of my life, one of the goals of my life I want to be, if, if I died and someone said, uh, in my, in my um, casket was here, and someone came by and said, you know what Jesse was? Jesse was an encourager. I'd feel like my life was complete. I would love for someone to say he was my friend, or he was funny, or I liked him, he was full of energy. Great things. But there's nothing better you could do for me than say, you know what, we're not going to call him Jesse, but we're going to call him Barnabas. How about you? Is that what you desire for your life? Say, I really haven't thought about it. Well, tonight I'm praying the Holy Spirit helps us all to think about just a little bit. I wrote down a few verses here tonight. You're welcome to turn to them if you want, but we'll turn to some more. But here's just a few verses on, on encouragement. Hebrews chapter 10, verse 23. The Bible says, Let us hold fast the profession of our faith without wavering, for He is faithful to promised. And let us consider one another to provoke unto love and to good works. Now, in the Bible, one of the verses of Father I often think about is the Bible says, Fathers, provoke not your children to wrath, right? The word provoke is used 41 times in the Bible. 39 of them I could find were all negative. Provoke not the Lord to anger. Provoke not your brother to neighbor. Provoke not the Lord to jealousy. Provoke not your brother to jealousy. But there's two. This is one of them. Here's the Bible says in verse 24. Let us consider, let us think about one another... To provoke unto love and to good works. You know what the word provoke means? It means to call forth, to call to action. I added this in there, to prod just a little bit. Hey, you know what someone in this room needs tonight? They need someone just to prod them just a little bit to say, Hey, look, you can do this. Don't give up. Hey, look, I know you're going through a rough time, but don't give up in church. Hey, look, I know things in your family are not going great. Now, hey, look, be faithful to your spouse and keep on loving your kids and God's going to see you through this. Hey, you know what? You're going through some difficult things in your family. Hey, look, don't quit. Don't give up on your kids. God knows. Keep on doing the right thing. Here's what we need. Sometimes we just need someone to come behind us and just give us a little shove and say, it's okay. Provoke them unto love and to good works. Hebrews chapter 3 and verse number 13. The Bible says, But exhort one another daily, while it is called today, lest any of you be hardened through the deceitfulness of sin. On a daily basis, one of the things we should do every day is to exhort and to encourage one another. Galatians chapter 6, verse 1 and verse number 2. The Bible says, Brethren, if a man be overtaken in a fault, everyone in the church jump on their back and tell them how horrible they are. I invite you to turn to Galatians chapter 6. Let's, let's all see this together because I think it's a powerful passage. Because you know what? There are people who at some point or another, and by the way, all of us are, sometimes maybe more visible than other things, but all of us are going to be overtaken in a fault. All of us are going to be wrong. Um, I know, especially for men, sometimes it's very hard for us to ever admit we actually made a mistake. Um, I love GPSs because you don't have to worry about the map. You don't have to go to the local, the local gas station. You can just act like you know what you're doing and your GPS will reroute you. And you act like you still know what you're doing. Just don't let your wife see the GPS and don't have it on so you can't reroute. We don't like to admit we're wrong, but look here. There's going to be times in life where we're going to be wrong. And there's going to be times in life where someone's going to do something that's wrong. So what do you do? Galatians chapter 6, verse 1. Brethren, speaking to us. If a man be overtaken in the faults, ye which are spiritual, restore such an one in the spirit of meekness. Consider thyself, lest thou also be tempted. Verse number two. Bear ye one another's burden, and so fulfill the law of Christ. 
who's supposed to help someone they're overtaking the fault? You which are spiritual. See, I'm not preaching the Sunday morning crowd, the Wednesday night crowd tonight. I'm preaching to the Sunday night crowd. And uh, I could preach all night long on skipping church on Sunday nights, and it would be the wrong crowd, wouldn't it? I could preach about all these social, uh, social ills. And by the way, I'm sure someone in this room has one of those social ills. But I'm not, that's not my goal tonight. My goal is to speak to us and say, hey, look, the people in this room should be some of the people that are ye which are spiritual. And if we're going to be an encourager, I want you to know, there's going to be times where someone's going to be sitting in our church. There's going to be times where someone's going to be missing church. And they're going to be overtaken in a fall. Guess what we need to do? If you're spiritual, if you're spiritual, you don't sit there and you don't knife, put a knife in their back and you don't talk about how bad they are. Do you know what they did or try to spread some rumor about? You know what you do? You at your spiritual restore such a one. Go to that person and say, hey, you know what? I know you're going through a rough time. I want to be an encourager to you. I would never give out names, but I have the privilege sometimes of going to lunch with men in our church. Men who have been through difficult times, men who are going through difficult times. Um, in the past three or four weeks, I bet I've been out four or five men in this church. And I enjoy that. I've been out some teenagers and some families who are struggling. I'm in my office talking. And you know what I want to do? I want to be an encourager. I want to say to them, you know what? I know things are looking bad right now, but can I encourage you? I want to do everything I can as a youth pastor, as a friend, to help restore such and one in the spirit of meekness. Not come up and saying, well, you know what? If it were me, here's what I'd do. No, just someone who just comes beside and wants to be a Barnabas, an encourager. I invite you to take your Bibles and turn to 1 Thessalonians chapter 5. 1 Thessalonians chapter 5. You know, when you're, when you're preaching, I, I know some of you all have never preached before, and some of you all preach quite often, but as you're preaching, you're just wanting people to get what, what God's put in your heart. And I want you to know something. Tonight, if, if maybe the Holy Spirit can light on fire what's, what God put in my heart, I hope you can catch it. In 1 Thessalonians chapter 5, verse 11, just so practical, it tells us what we can do to be a help to other people. 1 Thessalonians chapter 5 and verse number 11. The Bible says, Wherefore, comfort yourselves together... And edify one another, even as also ye do. You know what it means to edify? Edify means to build up. To encourage, but actually to build someone up. Verse number 12. And we beseech you, brethren, to know them which labor among you, and are over you in the Lord and admonish you. Now, I'm, I'm privileged to not be the pastor of this church, and so I can speak on this. And I'm not doing this as a paid position. I'm doing this because it's in the Bible. We have a privilege to have a pastor who loves us. And you have the privilege to have deacons in our church and Sunday school teachers who love you and who are ministers of the gospel of the Lord Jesus Christ to you. Here's the Bible says to us, to a church. And we beseech you, brethren, to know them which labor among you and are over you in the Lord and admonish you. Verse 13. And to esteem them very highly in love for their work's sake. You know what that Bible says about that? Your pastor... And, and the people that stand behind this pulpit and preach the word of God to you, and your Sunday school teachers, and the deacons, and your care group leaders, the people that are ministers of the gospel, the Bible says we're supposed to esteem them or hold them in high regard, very highly in love. You know, let's be honest. If I wanted to tonight, which I wouldn't open the floor, I could, I could ask you in the room and ask you, can you tell me something you don't like about me? And if I saw the youth section, we probably would be here a couple hours and never get to the third row. It would probably be a lot of fun. And I would probably go home and say, I'm looking to go be a youth pastor at another church. But you know, the thing that's awesome is that I, I don't know one teenager is here, a teenager on a thing that I have an issue with. Now, they may have an issue with me I'm not aware of, but I'm not aware of one of them. And here's what I'm thankful for. I love these teenagers. And you know what I'm thankful for? I think they love me. 
and, and I want to be the man of God I want to be. But you know what? There's be times where I fail, and there's be times where I need encouragement. And teens, you know what I want you to do? I want you to love your youth pastor, love your youth pastor's wife, love Brother Juan, love Miss Eva. Hold us in high regard and love us. Because you know what? If you'll love us and you'll pray for us and you can be encouraged by us, then you know what's going to happen when you go to Sunday school class? You're going to listen. And you're going to receive the preaching the Word of God and teaching because you say, I love those people. And you know what? They make mistakes sometimes, but I still love Brother Jesse. As a church, you know what? Every one of us, no one would want to stand right here and say, anyone want to tell something they don't like about? No one want to do that. But you know what? We're all imperfect human beings, but it has the privilege of a pastor and deacons in our church. What a privilege we have to hide them, hold them in high regard and to esteem them very highly in love for their work's sake. Because you know what? I can tell you, preaching and teaching the Word of God, it takes a lot out of you. And the thing that's great for me is God always speaks to me twice as much as I think He speaks to other people because He deals in my heart before I can preach on a subject or teach on a subject. Verse number 14. Now we exhort you, brethren. Here's a list. And if you mark things in your Bible, you could just start numbering. Warn them that are unruly. So what do you do when you see someone that you love and you care about that's unruly, that's someone that's making some wrong decisions, someone who's not living a disciplined life, someone who's beginning to turn the wrong way? You know what you do if you, if you want to truly be a son of encouragement? You warn them. You say, how do you do that? Well, you don't get in their face and say, you know, I know you missed church last week, and if you don't stop doing this. No, that's not how you warn somebody. You can warn someone in a totally different way. Now, by the, time, by the way, there's a time for that. But it's not, that's not what the Bible's talking about here. You know what we need? We need Sunday school people in the Sunday school who are warning other Sunday school members, and they say, hey, you know, I see this, I see this and you're my friend, and I care about you, and I'm, I, I want to encourage you. This is not a good idea. You know, the greatest people to warn other people are the older generation. You know, when a grandfather says to me, hey, you know what? If I had to do over again, I would. You know what I do? I perk my ears up. Because I'm listening to someone who's experienced and someone who doesn't sit there trying to, try to judge me or tell me where I'm wrong. They're trying to say to me, here's what I would do differently. And I want to do that differently. I know my mom and my dad, my mom and my dad are great, are great parents and great Christians. They weren't perfect. But I know one of the things early on my mom and my dad both said to me was, don't sacrifice your family for your job or for work or for church. Don't sacrifice your family. And I know there's been times in my ministry where I've had more of a struggle with that than other times. But I'm thankful that I have a mom and dad who say, hey, you know what? I see this in your life and I need to warn you a little bit. I have a, I have a pastor. I have a pastor right here in Hassa, Texas, Pastor Crawford. I have a pastor as my pastor grew up. His name is Pastor Ed Hampton. And I guarantee you, both those men would have no problem telling me how it is. My pastor in Maryland, um, I call him my pastor named Ed Hampton. He's in his 80s. And when I'm home, he will tell me something I'm doing wrong. I guarantee it. But here's the here's here's thing. I'm not going to be mad at him because you know what I know? I know he loves me and I know he's just trying to help me. He's trying to say, hey, Jesse, I want to warn you. There's something in your life or there's something in your family or there's something in your ministry that it's just not what it should be. Warn them that are unruly. It says in, the, in this verse, comfort the feeble-minded. You know what that means? Feeble-minded is pretty simple. People who are, who are weak-minded, the people who are faint-hearted, you could say it that way. You know what you should do when you see someone who's going through a hard time? Look, we've just lost some members of our church. I love Miss Pat dearly. She was my friend. And when I saw Shannon, when I saw John, when I saw Harry, I, I, I love them. Although I, I know Harry better, I know Shannon better, I love all of them. My heart hurt for them. You know what I want to do? I wanted to be a comfort to them. And you are the same way. You know people that you love. When you know people, I'm thinking about, thinking about Miss Elaine. And I know Miss Elaine loved Miss Pat dearly. And there's other people. I don't want to miss anybody. But I'm thinking about the people that were most closely connected to that family. And I'm thinking, they're members of our church, and right now, you know what they need? They're faint-hearted. They're going through a hard time in life. You know what we should do? Comfort the faint-hearted. Comfort the feeble-minded. The Bible says, support the weak. Um, 
sometimes people look like they're just about to fall. I, I meant to bring with me some crutches. But you know what it would be good for us to think of ourselves as? Sometimes people get through life and they're just kind of stuck. They're going through a hard time and they just don't know where the next step is. You know what we can do? We can just come up behind them and maybe put our arm around them. Have you ever done this before in a sport? Someone gets injured and you help carry them off the field? Hey, you know what? There's some people in the field in the game of life are hurt right now. And you know what we should do as Christians? You know what would be easier for us to do is sit there and say, well, I, I wonder what happened to them. I, I, here's what I heard. Did you hear what I heard? Um, that does nothing, does it? But if someone would just simply comfort the feeble-minded, support the weak, go up there. You know what? It would be a good idea for us to imagine some people and say, you know what? Although they're standing, I know spiritually they're in a wheelchair. And for a little while, here's what they need. They just need someone to give them a little push and to encourage them. They need someone to support the feeble-minded, to support the weak. The verse continues and it says, this is going to be hard. Ready? Be patient toward men you like. Be patient toward all men. You know, it's really easy to be patient with people that are patient with you, isn't it? It's easy to be patient with people who are just like you and who do what you want. But what do you do when someone, maybe the right word would be gets on your nerves? Or someone at your work or someone in your family or someone at your job or a neighbor, they know how to push your buttons. Or you feel like they should be further along. Hey, look, as a youth pastor, I have, I have high hopes and goals for these teenagers. There's not one teenager I look at and say, well, I gave up on them. I would never do that. But when we look out at people, you know what we should do? We should be patient toward all men. And that's hard, isn't it? What do you do when you have someone who just hasn't made it to the standard as a fan, maybe as a parent or a grandparent? They haven't reached that standard yet. You know what you do? You just keep on encouraging them. You keep on saying, you can do that. You keep on saying, I'm going to be patient with you. Now, does that mean you don't warn them? Absolutely, you do both. But in that, you're patient as well. Next verse, verse 15. See that none render evil for evil unto any man. But ever follow that which is good, both among yourselves and to all men. Rejoice evermore, pray without ceasing. I love that verse number 17 is in there because I think this is probably one of the keys. Two keys, I'd say. Number one is this. Pray for people. You know what happens when the Holy Spirit prods you? You know what you should do? I've got a habit of doing this. I carry my phone and I keep notes on my phone. I write down people's prayer requests. Because often someone will say, will you pray for me? And what do we do? Well, as good Christians, we say, I'll pray for you. And you know what happens? We walk away and we never pray for them. We always forget about it. And by the way, I'm telling myself because I've done that. And if you haven't, give me a system that works for you because I know I've done that. Here's what I started doing. When someone says, would you pray for me? I try to do this. I try to find out what it is and I stop and I pray for them right there. Either personally with them or I stop before I do anything else and I pray. Is the reason why? Because look, prayer is the muscle that moves the arm of God. And I'm looking out here tonight at our church, and again, I, I just wish I could maybe let you stand where I'm standing, and everyone's smiling, everybody looks so happy. But listen, no, not, not everybody here tonight's happy and smiling inside. There's people who are in a wheelchair spiritually, and they're struggling, they don't know the next step, and they just feel like they're crippled in their, in their Christian life. Hey, look, you know what we need to do? We need to pray for those people. Pray without ceasing. Verse 18, And everything give thanks, for this is the will of God in Christ Jesus concerning you. Verse number 19, And the Lord stepped on my toes here. Quench not the spirit. Quench not the spirit. The Bible kind of illustrates the spirit like a flame, like a fire, and of course it's not going to work now. You know what's awesome is, I remember when I was in Bible college, and uh, I remember the front row would always have to be open in our church. And I remember when freshmen would come, and the freshmen were on fire for God, and they'd come and they'd be, glory, hallelujah, and they'd be screaming and stuff. I remember one time, 
Someone asked our pastor, Pastor Sexton, Pastor, why don't you tell that boy to kind of keep it down a little bit? And here's what he always said. He said, uh, I don't want to do anything to quench the spirit. And he'd say something like this. He'd say, it won't be long before their fire starts to go out if we do anything to help it. We want people to have the fire to God. We don't want to quench the spirit. But what's interesting is, why is this verse in the middle of pray without cease and encouragement? You know the reason why? Because you know that some people are just barely trying to get that light to flicker. They're trying to live for God. You know what's easy for us to do sometimes as Christians who have been around a little while? We see one wrong thing and it's like... And they try again and we're like... Can I just be honest with you? God's been dealing with my heart about this. You know what I've always said in our church? One of the goals for me in my, our church is I don't ever want to be an Achan. You know what Achan was in the Old Testament? The Bible, they went in and they, they took Jericho and everything was going great. And there was a man who went in there and he saw some Babylonish garments and some silver and he hid in his tent. Next battle comes out, they defeated Jericho, they marched on the city, they did nothing really and God go with the victory. There's a place called Ai and all they had to do was go up there and fight and they only sent about 2,500 men. And they went up there and fought and guess what? Ai discomfited, Ai destroyed Israel. Men lost their life. And Joshua and all the men are on their face and God says, Joshua, get up off your face and here's what I want you to do. Call the tribes together and I'm going to find the tribe that it is. And they call the tribe and they get to the family and they say, tell us what happened. And Achan had taken the accursed thing, the Bible said. And Achan was just one man in the camp. But Achan's sin crippled the entire camp. Would you listen to me tonight? God's given us a great church. And God's given us a fantastic way to shine our light. And you know what happens when we allow sin in our life or we allow ourselves to be the discourager? Everyone else can do everything they can to light that fire for God. You know what the problem is? There's so, too often there's an Achan that goes... Now, let's, let's be real pointed here what I'm talking about. You know, the greatest thing we can do is to be an encourager with our words. Would you take your Bible and turn to Ephesians chapter 4? And I'm finished with Ephesians chapter 4 tonight. High school boys, you'll recognize these verses we talked about them this morning. Ephesians chapter 4 and verse number 20, 29. The Bible said, says, Let no corrupt communication... Proceed out of your mouth, but that which is good to the use of edifying, that it may minister grace unto the hearers. Is there ever a time to warn the unruly? Yeah, there is. Is there ever a time to tell someone to their face they're wrong? Is there ever a time to be very serious with somebody and look at them in the eyes and tell them they're wrong? Absolutely. But is that, is that done just by anybody, or is that done by you at your spirit to restore such a one in me, spirit of meekness? See, the Bible says, let no corrupt communication. I brought a um, sledgehammer, and I brought a hammer. If I was going to build my... I've been telling my wife I'm going to build um, an island at our house. Okay, that's going to happen hopefully this summer or this, this year sometime. If I was going to build an uh, island in my house, and I was trying to put some wood on or put some trim on or trying to finish up it, I'm not going to grab this right here and start tapping on it with this. You know what this is used for? This is used for demolition. I think this very one maybe has been with us in Virginia. We took out some walls on a mission trip years ago. I was watching that video and laughing. Um, it was fun watching that and remembering that. But look here. This is to tear down. The Bible says, let no corrupt communication. You know what corrupt you could think about? Corrupt is something that goes away. It's torn down. Let no tearing down language proceed out of your mouth. But that which is good to the use of edifying. 
building up. Now let's just, let's just ask ourselves a question. Let no corrupt communication. How many times what comes out of my mouth does nothing to build up, but does a whole lot to tear down? I'm a father. Many of you are here fathers. You know the Bible says for us men, provoke not your children to wrath. That's a tall order. I'm supposed to speak to my wife and speak to my children. And if I have responsibility to this church, speak to those who God's given me responsibility. I'm speaking to all of us in a way that encourages them, not in a way that tears them down. And I, I just want you to know that too often we're the last part of the verse. The Bible says, verse 30, And grieve not the Holy Spirit of God, whereby you are sealed unto the day of redemption. You notice they go together again. We, when we tear people down their language, we're grieving the Holy Spirit of God. We're putting the fire out. Let all bitterness and wrath and anger and clamor and evil speaking be put away from you with all malice. And be ye kind one to another, tenderhearted, forgiving one another, even as God for Christ's sake hath forgiven you. What's the illustration here? Well, I think the illustration here is to consider Jesus. Jesus saw a seeking man in the midst of a crowd of people at a, at a parade for him. You know what that man was? Zacchaeus. Everyone else was too busy to look at the crowd, and Jesus saw a man. Jesus saw a greater purpose and a task to be done in the lives of some frustrated fishermen, while all they saw was a disappointment and discouragement and possible quitting. That was Peter, James, and John. Jesus saw hungry people that needed fed. His disciples saw a multitude they didn't know how to help. Jesus saw children desiring to know him, while his disciples said, Go away. Jesus said, no, no, we're not going to behave that way. We're not going to do that. Suffer little children to come to me. Forbid them not, for of such is the kingdom of God. Jesus saw a last man seeking mercy, while everyone else dwelled on the horribleness of the cross. Jesus saw a broken and nearly defeated man named Peter, and encouraged and pushed him along and provoked Peter to become one of the great evangelists of the New Testament. See, the deal is this. If we're going to be like our Savior, our Savior wasn't tearing people down. If you could imagine our say, the Bible says, Let this mind be in you, which is also in Christ Jesus, who being in the form of God, thought not robbery to be equal with God, but made himself of no reputation, took upon him the form of a servant. You know what a servant does? A servant's there to minister to the people. Our Lord was a builder up. Our Lord was someone who never quenched the fire. I just have a simple question for you. In your family, in your job, in this church, what are you known as? I must be honest with you. I, I'm, I'm sarcastic. Um, I like to make jokes and I like to pick. And, and sometimes I do that. I don't even realize it. You know what God's convicted me about? I don't ever want to do anything to tear somebody down. I want to build people up. I would love for them in my life to come and someone to say, you know what, we're not going to call him Jesse. No, he's Barnabas. He's an encourager. question for you tonight is, are you an encourager? Are you the person that's constantly, when someone, everything's going well... No, no, no. I don't believe you. You won't live for God? No. Which one are you? Would you bow your head and close your eyes? I invite you to stand up tonight as we have the invitation. We'll pray and, and the altars are open if God spoke in your heart this evening. Father, we thank you so much for your goodness. Thank you, Lord, for the great privilege to open the word of God, Lord, in preaching. Lord, tonight I thank you for giving my heart. I pray, Lord, I would love to be known as an encourager. Lord, I'd love to be known as somebody who's a helper, who builds people up, Lord, who doesn't tear down. Lord, I pray tonight for families, for fathers, for mothers, for teenagers, for church members, Lord, who maybe, Lord, we've done what we shouldn't do, Lord, in this area. Lord, would you please convict us tonight? Help us to be a great encourager of those who so desperately need help. In Christ's name we pray. Amen.
534. On behalf of our church and staff, thank you for listening to this sermon. For more sermons and more information about our church, please visit hbchazlett.org.